I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Red Wing, episode 53, coming to you live from Tribe Rocket Inc.'s new headquarters in the old capital of the world, Houston, Texas, down here in the Museum District now, Mark LaCour. Welcome to episode 53. Yeah, that's really cool. Now, just to make sure our listeners understand, your old headquarters was also in Houston, Texas. You just moved around a bit. It was also in Houston, Texas, but it was in the Galleria, and now I'm pretty much downtown, which is great for a city boy like me, and it's right, it's less than two miles from George R. Brown, the Petroleum Club, all these different places that that you have to travel in from Sugarland. Yeah, it's a bit of a drive. I'm going to be a bit jealous next time we have an API meeting where you get to have a five-minute commute, and I had a 40-minute commute to get there. <laughs> yeah, and so and if, if, you're, if you're new to the show and you don't know this, Mark and I don't record in the same room. A lot of people think we do, and I guess that's a, a credit to my production skills, Mark. Yeah, I think we've only, what, twice maybe we've done it live in the same twice, room? Twice, possibly, yeah. possibly. So I know the people like the UFC talk. We've got some we've got some UFC fans out there and there's a there's a big fight coming up here between the one Mr. Conor McGregor who, who whose trash talk is just it's 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 I hate the word savage because it's being used too much on the internet, but it was it was people used to say epic and now they say savage. Regardless, the guy's a beast and he's fighting Diaz. And I know that you don't watch the UFC, but you you practice these uh, mixed martial arts. What's your take on these guys? Yeah, it's funny. So a lot of people want to have conversation with me about what's going on currently in MMA, and they are shocked to find I don't watch it at all. In fact, I pay no attention to it. I've done it. I do it, and I've done it for years, but I just don't really watch it on TV. So when you brought this to my attention, I checked out both of these fighters. First thing I agree, Connor is just an expert at trash talk. I mean, he is good. He's, he's got a great character. Um, he's a striker, right? Diaz is a ground guy. Uh, Diaz is a BJJ guy. So, you know, a lot of people understand this. MMA is very strategic, um, and it's all about taking your opponent in a zone they're not comfortable. So in any fight, and this isn't anything new. The Greeks figured this out a million years ago. There's basically three stages. There's the standing stage where you can throw large, powerful punches and kicks. There's the clinch where you're still standing, but you can't throw those powerful punches and clicks, kicks. And there's the ground game. <clears throat> and whatever you're strong at, you want to bring your opponent there. So this could be a, a really, really good fight where Connor's strategy is to keep Diaz standing up. So he's so he keeps Diaz in a zone that Diaz is not comfortable with. And Diaz's strategy is to be able to bring Connor to the ground, a place where Connor's not comfortable with. So we'll see who's who's better at executing that type of strategy. Yeah, so if you have any thoughts on this upcoming fight, go on to tribrocket.com forward slash TW53, and uh, let's get some trash talk going in the comments. It'd be interesting to, to hear uh, different people's perspective from across the globe, because we'll get into that. I had a great dinner last night with Christian from Ecuador, just to <laughs> make that clarification right now, not China, Mark. Not China. Yeah, I don't know why I thought he was Chinese. I got that one wrong, really wrong. <laughs> really wrong, but it made for a great story, and, and we'll get into that later. But right now, this is the March 2016 First Friday Q&A, and we have a lot of questions. Thank you to everyone for submitting. This is, I, I'd say this is probably one of our uh, one of our most heavily attended First Friday Q&As, if you will. 
Yeah, and you know what, James, I think is really cool? Look at the quality of these questions. We're having some industry experts reach out to us. You know, not 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 that we don't discount people that want just general knowledge about the oil and gas industry. This is this is some very deep, very um hardcore industry questions and we love it. So thanks everybody. Yes, definitely. All right, we're gonna kick things off because we we briefly mentioned this question on a previous episode. I don't remember if it was a QA show or not. But it was about the NOV launch that we that we attended, and that was just uh, um, all my days are mixing together because I just two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I was at the uh, out there at the Capitol Grill in Houston, and just talk about what what we learned and what were some takeaways that we can talk about publicly because obviously we can't go into detail about a lot of things. But what did what stood out to you the most at the NOV launch? Yeah, so this is a question from Jeremy, and he wants to understand um, what's, what we learned at the NOV lunch around closed-loop drilling. Unfortunately, Jeremy, we can't tell you exactly what we learned. But a couple of takeaways from that lunch that uh, I thought was very powerful. Number one, big data and the ability to use big data in, in drilling is is a paramount um, initiative inside of National Oil Varco. It's so such an initiative that even though NOV is laying off people, that big data team at NOV is growing. Um, so that tells you a lot. It tells you that, that National Oil sees the business driver as in big data and being able to uh, mine that big data to help increase their efficiencies. The other thing I thought was really cool is the fact that the head of that movement within NOV was allowed to speak publicly. Um, usually companies like this don't let anything that is um, that crucial to their business success, they don't allow those guys to speak publicly because they don't want their competitors to learn about it. So I thought that was also a bit of a different shift. Uh, it was it was a great lunch, a, a lot of um, high-tech speak. But let me just say this much, Jeremy, uh, National Oil Wells going down that road full bore, and I think the rest of the industry is going to be doing it as well. Yeah, so shout out to Theo at MAPR as well for getting that lunch put together because – I, I I learned a lot. In a certain sense, I did feel a little bit like I was at my first day in the in the industry when I'm back at <laughs> Drilling Info, where I was going, "What are these guys talking about?" Um, but some of the things in terms of data storage and what you're able to do in moving around data with the different protocols that he's running, and the thing that really stood out to me is that he was a true evangelist. Oh yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He he was brought into NOV to to address this problem and he's doing it. But he's on the literally not the cutting edge, the bleeding edge of this in oil and gas. Yeah. In in, in his pictures of his setup where he did this at waste management <laughs> for the first time were pretty classic. Yeah. So he's basically had had multiple servers set up in a high performance computing environment under his desk. <laughs> yeah. If we get, if we if uh, we can somehow find that picture, that is that is if you're a tech guy and you see this, you're gonna laugh. Yeah. It was great. All right. So that's those are our takeaways from NOV. Let's move over to Andrew Shields, uh, Merrill Lynch Commodities. We've heard from Andrew on Contango Markets last last month, and and he followed up with a deep dive. We're gonna put the the obviously all of these questions and statements and, and replies in the show notes. So if you want to take a deep dive and in, into contango, feel free. But the, 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 I guess the kernel of this that we're going to talk about right now is the fact that, that Mark and Merrill Lynch are in agreement <laughs> that crude prices are going to go back up. 
Yeah. Andrew, let me hats off to you, brother. This is some great information. You've actually educated me a lot just by uh, our interactions. In fact, I'm probably reach out to you outside of the show because I want to learn more. But basically what he's saying that if you look at the spot price, when and today's spot price I think is uh, 26.24, and you look at the March um, futures contract, which is about uh, 38.84, that the, the general consensus that the spot price is going to be about $35 in March. That's a trend upwards, right? So that trend's going to continue, and I'm still sticking to uh, my August of uh, 2016 of this year for $60 a barrel. Um, but but uh, this is a good deep dive into how those markets work, you know, what the um, – the people that invest and look to make a profit on oil as far as um, um, uh, brokers of commodities, how they actually do the math. So uh, read into this. If you want to see how it's done, this is a great explanation. And he breaks it down in a way that you actually can understand it. So uh, hats off, Andrew, for reaching back out to us and putting this in front of us. So for us, um, uh, not that I'm uninitiated, but that's still learning. Can you break down spot price and futures and what that yeah. means? So a spot price is what you will pay right now, literally right, literally right this second, because in another minute or two, that spot price is going to change. And trying to figure out what you think that spot price is going to be in the future is how you either make money or, unfortunately, how you lose money if, you, if you're a broker in this market, right? There's a lot of information, a lot of math, a lot of statistical analysis that is used to figure out what that spot price is going to be in the future. And that spot price in the future is the future price. Make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for that. All right, we're gonna move on to Kevin from Chesapeake Energy. He's he's actually a student, and and we we had to apologize to Kevin because we weren't gonna be able to get his answer before his due date of his of his project. But he asked a really really interesting question. Mark gave him a reply, but I wanted to to kind of unpack it on the show here. So let me just read his his project, and and then we'll let Mark do his thing. Your group is the Energy Advisory Council to the President of the United States. Uh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> who, who could that be? Using data, research, and a pragmatic, nonpartisan approach to domestic and international energy resources, provide a comprehensive energy policy for the U.S. considering all of the current energy resources we have available. The sources and uses of these energy resources, supply and demand, and environmental impacts what would you provide the president as a national energy policy senator, <laughs> Senator LaCour? Yeah, so um, so Kevin's actually worked on his master's in energy management. This was a, a class assignment for him, for his, actually his team. And so he reached out to us, and, and unfortunately the timing wasn't right. We couldn't get it on the show. But I was uh, happy to help Kevin. And basically the, the issue is this, right? If you look at an offshore project in the Gulf of Mexico, the timeline from first oil to decommission maybe 50 years, and some company has to mitigate risk on that project, you know, Chevron, Exxon, whatever. But our political climate changes every four to eight years. So what happens is the oil and gas companies have to work in the risk of the political climate changing, which increases the cost of that oil, which ultimately the consumers pay for. So what we need is a national energy policy, totally disconnected uh, from the political regime. And it needs to be something where the, the that group is worried about what is right for the U.S. citizens, not all the other stuff. So what I told Kevin is basically he needs to put together um, a team in that policy that that team should approach, focus on things like the free market. It should promote the free market. 
He would also need to build a board of industry experts to lead the U.S. energy policy. Now, this board must not have any political direction and cannot be controlled by Congress. Um, sort of like same way as uh, the um, God, Federal Reserve. Yeah, same way as the Federal Reserve. And then the term of service should be 10 years. This way, the, the term that these people serve on this board overlaps multiple um, um, political regimes. And their charter should be to, to ensure a not reliable energy for the U.S. people and the economy. They need to be conductive to energy abundance, reliability, and affordability, and then have stable and unbiased public policies that support open competitive markets. You need to lead disciplined investments in new projects and new technologies, and you need to not focus on micromanaging or manipulating the energy markets, all stuff that our current political regime does. If we would have this type of uh, political I mean, if we have this type of energy policy in pace, you would be amazed at how cheap energy would be for the U.S. It would just be crazy because the energy companies would not have to build in the risk of political changes every every time there's an administration change. So um, that's what I, I reached out and I told Kevin. And what was so cool is that he replied back to me and said that literally they were just having discussions. His team was getting ready to finalize stuff. And they could not figure out how to – they, they all had the same thoughts, but they were trying to figure out how to put it in words. And when he got my email, he goes, you were spot on. This is what we came up with. We just didn't know how to condense it down to a few bullet points. So, Kevin, I hope this helped. I, I'm really glad you reached out to me on this. This is a great um, a, a great question. Unfortunately, we, we didn't get it in time to actually help you live, but I know that I helped you when I replied back to you. Um, anything else we can do for you, Kevin, and your team, You know, working on your, um, your master's in energy management, reach out and we'll be happy to do so. Mark LaCour, 2016. All right. Well, well, let's unpack any, because you said a lot there. What what are maybe one or two points that you can unpack in terms of, of the gravity of the importance? It seems that the term would be really key. Term and no political affiliation, right? So um, a lot of people that listen to us um, probably think that the Republican right-wing party is very pro-oil. The truth is no. <laughs> now, they don't do anything to hurt the oil and gas industry, but they don't help it. Uh, the left-wing Democratic Party obviously does a lot of stuff to hurt the, the oil and gas industry. And you know this has nothing to do with the, um, the mix between renewables and oil and gas. The market should figure that out. What is the best for the environment? What is best for the country? What is the best for the people? Unfortunately, right now, James, it's you're having politicians make um, create rules and laws that that aren't looking at the best interests of the American people. Yeah, yeah, it's market intervention at its best or worst. As you, so, <clears throat> I, I could go down that road. Let's 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 not though. Let's move over to Anwar Lara. Good morning, Mark. I work for SOFEC, S-O-F-E-C. Yeah, that's how I pronounce it. Okay. And we use turntables in our bi- in our bayous. No, buoys. Buoys. Um, yeah. the, the calm buoy falls under the category of a single point mooring, typically with a turntable positioned above the geostationary hull mounted on a roller bearing. <laughs> this is this is inside baseball right here. Yep. I was listening to your podcast number 52 and you asked if we still use turntables. Perhaps this is a different turntable. Have a great day. 
Yeah, Anwar, thank you so much for sending this out to us. Um, so this is a different turntable I was talking about, but what was so cool about this is I learned something I didn't know. There's a whole industry around these buoys so they could anchor, um, I, I mean, everything from FPSOs to super tankers to make it safe. And so what they do is in this buoy, they have a turntable that rotates so that when you attach the morning line for the ship, it's automatically lined up and it keeps the hull exactly in position. I didn't even know this industry existed. So um, really cool stuff. What what, is, actually, what is this mean i have to ask i'm just educate me a little bit here because uh you said you said an acronym and super tankers so oh fpso um, uh-huh. um damn it now i can't remember what fpso stands for basically it's um it's a ship that does everything it goes and it offloads the oil and gas cargo it it refines it or processes it and then it brings it to market got it look up fpso and get the definition okay all right in 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 so the what is the single point mooring typically turned all this stuff? Just kind of unpack it. So think about if you're in a boat, it doesn't have to be a super tanker, just any boat. And you go to tie up in the middle of the ocean, right? You, you may have a reason to keep that boat in position. You don't want the wind or the waves to move you around because if you just tie up with a single rope to a buoy and a buoy is basically an anchor in the seafloor with a, uh, some type of connection, usually chained to a float on the, on the ocean surface. And you tie up to that float. So if you just tied up a boat to that buoy, when the wind or the waves change, you would rotate within a 360-degree circle around that buoy. Understand that? I got that. Now imagine if you wanted that boat to stay still. Yeah, that's exactly what you want, and I see those graphs all the time. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, And I actually remember FPSO is floating production storage, and I think offloading is is what it is. But FPSOs were uh, real big in Brazil, and they're actually starting to take off in the Gulf of Mexico. Got it. Okay. Thanks for bearing with me. And then also shout out to Jeremy at Mobile Data Tech who Well, before we go back there, let me finish with the, with okay. the whole turn. Go yeah, thing. go ahead. But I was actually talking about turntables and on land and offshore. Turntables what literally the electric motors or diesel generators or whatever uh drive to turn the drill stem. So it actually transfers the power to the drill stem. And then you had a conversation with somebody and says they don't call them um, turntables anymore. What do they call them? <laughs> well, Jeremy said, is, is Mark having a bad day? They're called rotary tables. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so Jeremy, I'm not having a bad day. I, a million years ago, when I used to do a lot of stuff on the rigs, they called them turntables. So somewhere in the last 20 years, they've changed their names. And my, my question around all of this is, I know top drives are getting big. Maybe Jeremy can answer this. But when you go out in the field, you know, are the turntables or the round tables being displaced by top drives in a big way. I don't know that the answer to that question. I'd love to know. Yeah. So hit us, hit us up on the, in the show notes, tribracket.com forward slash TW 53. And now we have not Wabin, senior consultant and reservoir engineer at Gaffney Klein and associates. And we're going to go through um, a little bit of this and then Mark's going to be able to unpack a little bit more. Regular listener to the show, enjoy the show very much and enjoy learning more about the industry from your experience. I just heard the latest episode where you're talking about the Gatwick oil field, where you mentioned that the field had, quote, 100 billion barrels reserves. I Googled the field and this article below mentioned that the size of the field was about 100 to, two, 100 to 124 billion barrels of oil in place. Since this is within my field of expertise, I just wanted to share and highlight the distinction between reserves, which means economically recoverable volumes, and 
hydrocarbons in place, which means volume of oil in the ground. The correct way to describe those volumes is about 100 to 124 billion barrels in place. Yeah, so Nod, thanks for reaching out to this. I I knew this, but I missed it when I was talking about this this field, and he's absolutely right. There's a difference between the amount of oil that's in the ground and the amount that you can recover. And uh, barrels under reserve is actually a legal term. It's 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 basically how much oil do you know you can get out of the ground? So we've talked about this on past shows. You know, the frack fields, the shell plays in the U.S. aren't new. That's where the Rockefellers and the Standard Oil made their monies, you know, 100 years ago because they had gushers. They would drill. Oil would gush out of the ground, and they would capture it, and they would sell it. And when they quit having the gushers, they said, oh, the fields are depleted. What they didn't know is they weren't depleted. They had only removed 5% of the oil out of the ground. Now we come back in the same plays and we, with a combination of old technology, which is uh, fracking, and a new technology, which is uh, horizontal drilling, we're able to go capture another 15%. Well, if you do the math, 5 and 15 is only 20%, which means 80% of the oil is still in the ground. That 80% of the oil that we can't get out today is hydrocarbons in place. That 20% that we've gotten out would have been barrels on reserve if we would have left it in the ground. So you see how technology, as technology goes, we're, we're, you're able to get more and more oil out of the ground, which means that your barrels under reserve goes up. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And so, and so realistically, we're talking about more like 20 million barrels that, that of reserves possibly. Right, right. Cause they can only right now get about between three and 8% of that oil out of the ground. Right. So, but as time goes on, myself and most experts in this industry believe that new technologies will be discovered will, um, that will allow us to tap more and more into the um, uh, barrels in place, not just in this field, not just in the shell plays in the U.S., but in the world. So that's why um, you know we're, we're never run out of oil. <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> right. We're in a hydrocarbon abundant world, and we will continue to be in a hydrocarbon abundant world. That's exactly what I was thinking as, as you were speaking about that because of the fact that that just blew my mind when I, when I did learn that back in my early days. And the, the, the best analogy that was given to me was thinking of, of taking a, a paintbrush and dipping it into the paint and you pull it out. You don't get all of the paint. You only get whatever you can get on that brush. And to think about you know, all of the headlines that always talk about we're running out of oil, we're running out of oil. We've barely scratched the surface of the oil that we have drilled. Yeah. And the other thing that people mistakenly think is they think that companies like Chevron and Exxon and Petrobras has went out and um, done geo surveys on the entire planet and discovered all the oil that they can get it to. If you think about that from a business point of view, why would they do that? It's a waste of money. They only go out and find reserves that they can tap into the next five or 10 years. So the amount of reserves, barrels on reserve in this world, if you go out and do the research, goes up every year because the companies don't go out there and find it all. They only go find what they need in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I think we've talked about that on shows in the past, but it's always a great point to hit again because, again, you're hitting this hydrocarbon abundant world a lot, and it, it's just so much that we can't even really wrap our heads around it if we, if we try to. Let's move over to Aaron Drucker at CBI, CBNI, because we've mentioned CBNI a couple times, not on, uh, on this show and then also on the Careers podcast. And CBNI, to clarify, Chicago Bridge and Iron. <laughs> so we've got that going on. But it was really interesting. And thank you very much, Aaron, for reaching out on this. 
I listened to the show last week and heard Mark mention CB&I as a potential company that's hiring. I'm a BDM, explain. Business Development Manager. There you go. For our LNG projects, uh, we'll skip that one. <laughs> um, and I'm, natural gas. Yeah, exactly. And I'm well aware of all CB&I's hiring practices. And I just wanted to comment that CB&I isn't just a labor broker. We self-perform the EPC. Um, engineering procurement construction <laughs> for major capital <laughs> projects, including multi-billion dollar, <laughs> this is getting silly, multi-billion dollar LNG and ethylene projects currently on the Gulf Coast. Mark mentioned CBI, CB&I as a way to jump to some of the IOCs. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's, I want to say independent operating companies, but I think that, no, that's right. Yeah. Some of the IOCs, but in reality, the major projects in education on the Gulf Coast are not IOCs. They're companies like Freeport. Chenier. Chenier. <laughs> Why don't you finish that? <laughs> Axel and Simpra. Okay. In that vein, I wanted to say that CB&I is a destination employer. There's no need to jump. Our goal is to recruit, train, and retain skilled labor. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. You guys do a great job, and I'm a big fan of the show. God bless. Thank you, Aaron. So, yeah. so what do you have to say for yourself, Mark? So, Aaron, we like it when you're on your soapbox. I, I'm so glad you reached out to us. Um, I, so I didn't realize how big an EP&C uh, CB&I was. You're huge, right? I did a little bit of research, and so I just basically got it wrong. Now, what I, I didn't say that... CB&I is a great way to jump into some of the IOCs. What I said was that if you want to get in the oil and gas industry, uh, you could go work for CB&I, especially if you have a skilled labor background. And then if you want it to move somewhere else in the industry, you would have that, um, that um, background that, and that experience, and you could. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with working at CBI. In fact, a, a little bit of research in your company culture, y'all actually put a lot of money and effort to retain your employees, which means you treat your employees very well. So you know, if you go work for CB&I, you probably want to stay there. Um, but I, you know, I, I love the fact that you reach out and maybe do a little bit of research. Um, now I have another huge EPC company in my toolbox when I'm talking to my clients. So thanks, Aaron. Yeah, this is, this is really great stuff. And, and I, I also really appreciate it because just looking at their website, I, I wasn't able to ascertain that, that much of a deep dive. So please, by all means, anyone who wants to jump on their soapbox, uh, hit us in the comments, and and we appreciate everything. Those are all of our questions for this month. If you want to add any questions ongoing, you can go to any of the show notes for any of the episodes that are going to be coming out over the next month, and we we will always put those on file and and have them ready, as we talked about on the last Q&A episode by putting them in the show notes, they won't get lost in all of our all of my email, I should say, because <laughs> Mark is not the one that gets the emails, and I'm the one dropping the ball with that happens. So go to the show notes, tribracket.com forward slash TW53 on this one, and then TW54, 55, whatever, to add your questions. Mark LaCour, it's time to talk about our big winner for the day for our Red Wing Offshore bag. Who do you got? It's a Anders Wilberg with Emerson Process Management. Emerson Process Management. Anders, awesome, awesome bag that you got there. I finally, finally was able to get my eyes on one. I sent you the video, Mark. 
Yeah, great unboxing video. Um, but congratulations, Anders. Uh, you won the bag. Everybody wants one. You got one. Uh, you know, thanks to uh, to Red Wing for for doing that. But um, congratulations, brother. Yeah. So Emerson Process Management is a leader in helping businesses automate their production, processing, and distribution facilities in key industries. Running a process operation means constant pressure to cut costs, increase output, reduce energy use and emissions, and improve safety, all while managing increasingly complex operations with more than 7,500 industry experts around the world. We, they <laughs> help to solve the problems their customers face today to build an advantage for tomorrow. And we mentioned, uh, you just mentioned the unboxing video. Yeah. So last night I had the opportunity to go down to the Crown Plaza, which is great because it's only 1.9 miles from my new place. <laughs> and I met up with Christian who won last. It, you got to hear this story. It's so hilarious. He said, he said to his wife, he said, this is exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to enter the week before I go. I'm going to win it. I'm going to pick it up when I get there and I'm going to go back <laughs> <laughs> he had it all planned out and his wife was like yeah 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 but the funniest thing beyond that is that is so he's from ecuador his wife is canadian his first son was born in south korea and his younger son was born in brazil so his entire family no one is the same nationality <laughs> Yeah, how many passports are floating around that family? It must be a bunch. <laughs> he told me his youngest has three, and they're always shuffling them around um, because apparently from Brazil to Indonesia, you have to pay fees. I'm not sure exactly, but it was it was hilarious. It was a great conversation, and I think we might have to get Christian on for a .5 episode, but I'll throw that unboxing video in the show notes so that everybody can see what the offshore bag looks like. And if you want one for yourself, there's no purchase necessary to win. See official site rules, uh, site for details. It's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. And again, shout out to Red Wing and Chris over there and the whole team. Fantastic people to work with. And it, I actually texted her last night the video, and she was so fired up and replied <laughs> late at night and everything. So it's it's just really cool. Yeah, um, folks, if you, if you want one of these bags and they're super, super awesome, just go uh, redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Uh, put in your information, and you'll be entered to win. Yep. All right, we got three events coming up and one postponed, unfortunately, which we will get to. The Leaders in Industry Luncheon is happening at the Petroleum Club right up the street from my place here, Mark LaCour, on Wednesday, March 9th from 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. What is going on at the Leaders in Industry Luncheon this month? Yeah, so you, this is Leaders in Industry Luncheon. You can have um, uh, Mark Hauser, CEO of Universal Lands Office, talk about what's going on. Um, also, um, the day before that uh, Leaders in Industry Luncheon, we also have the API Houston Luncheon on March 8th. Um, and that's where, that, on that luncheon, we have Robert Broadley, um, who's the CEO of Institute for Energy Research, talk about economically correct and politically intercorrect, politically intercorrect energy policies, which kind of ties back to some of the stuff we are talking about earlier. Um, then it looks like on uh, Thursday, March 10th, we have Decision Strategy All-Field Breakfast, an awesome breakfast. And we're going to have the um, former Shell Oil president, um, um, John Hoffmeister, who, if you've never heard him speak, unbelievable, great speaker. Um, he's going to be talking about you know, what it takes to build a more resistant oil and gas industry. So I'll be there. So come join me there. And then I think we have one more, James. What is it? 
Yeah, well, let me just mention as well that so it's the oil field breakfast forum. So underscore breakfast, because this happens from 630 a.m. to 9 a.m. at the Royal Sonesta Houston, which is out at 222 West Loop. We have, uh, yeah, the right. I mean, there's so many stuff. There's so much stuff going on. If you're not on Mark's list, you really need to be. I'm just going to put it that way, because. If we could do an entire show every week on all of the events coming up, I don't know that it would be that interesting. So we'll just leave this part. <laughs> we'll just leave this part of the show uh, alone. But just go to tryrocket.com forward slash events, and that's where you can enter your name and email address and get the email from Mark that that he curates all of these different events that are happening not only in in Houston, obviously. We talk about a lot of the things that are happening in Houston, but he gets everything across the globe that's going on. And tell me if I'm wrong, you might have some OC, o, OTC passes. Yeah, so so we we my team puts scours the interwebs and finds all the oil and gas events. We put them together in one place. We stick it in your inbox once a month. But we also highlight the ones that are key, the ones that are that you should go to, right? The insider only events. I also give away free stuff um, for some strange reason, James. Um, companies out there pay attention to what you and I have to say. And so they often give me free passes to give to my audience. So go sign up for the list. You'll be, I mean, it's very useful. And I, and I do it as a way of giving back. The truth is years ago, I was frustrated that I couldn't find a place, one, one single place online to find all the oil and gas events. So I built it myself. You know, that reminds me, I forgot to tell you uh, that I meant, I think one of his name is John. I can't remember the company or anything. He forwarded me. I forgot to forward this to you. And, and apparently it was being texted all around NAEP. Someone put together a comprehensive spreadsheet of every single NAEP party and <laughs> whether or not, when it started, what was happening, whether or not you needed to RSVP, all of these things. And I'm like, you know, I need to get to know that guy so he can link up with Mark for next year's NAEP because it was it was quite a resource for the, yeah. If uh, anybody knows who that guy was, connect him with me. I would love to to promote his stuff, and it would be actually beneficial for our audience. So yeah, help us figure out who this guy is with the spreadsheet. <laughs> Definitely. All right, and the Rice Global ENC Roundtable is Friday, March 11th, from 11:15 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Grand Hall Rice University. Oh, man, again, right up the street from my place here, Mark. Tell us about what goes on at the roundtable. I really, really wish I could go to this because this is right in my universe, right? So this is Patrick Leach, the CEO of Decision Strategies, and he's talking about how project managers in oil and gas have biases built in when they make decisions, especially in complex situations, which is, I mean, literally it's one of the things that we struggle with as well, the biases in the data that we collect for our clients. I'm not going to be able to go there, but if you're a project manager and you want to learn how to pull those biases out so you make better decisions, go to this. This is going to be really cool. So give us an example of a bias that that hurts when you're yeah, making so a decision. I'll give you what's called awareness bias. It's one that everybody deals with. So if I told you that right now you live in the safest time in history, you may not believe it because you hear all around you for, because of technology about all the violence that's going on. But it's, 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 it's so it, you're, you're aware of all this violence, which then makes you have a bias to think that we don't live in a safe point in history and we live in the safest point in history. Does that make sense? Yeah, so back way back before the printing press or anything like that, you were just living in your in your village or or in the city that you were in and things just got spread kind of ear to ear or whatever. <laughs> um and nowadays we have mass media that is able to bombard us with all kinds of messaging 
that tells us it's the, it's a dangerous time. And yeah. so we believe it. Yeah, I'll give you another one. Information bias, right? The, the, the tendency to go out there and find a whole bunch of information or, around a problem so you can make a decision doesn't always help you make the right decision. In fact, statistics prove that less information helps you make a better decision. There's another one, information bias. There's, I, I, could spend, I could spend all day talking about this because it's center to what we do is to be able to remove those biases when we do our research. I'm going to throw this in here. Uh, if you want a webinar with Mark LaCour on bias, <laughs> hit us in the show notes at tribracket.com forward slash TW53 because Mark has been dying to use this webinar jam. <laughs> it's just a word, sort of an inside joke there. Um, but moving on from joking to something much, much more serious – Unfortunately, the rig tour has been postponed. We were all looking forward to getting together out there in Baytown on Saturday. But tell us about this, Mark. Yeah, so it's not canceled. It's postponed. Um, what happened is the the key, the principal player in this that's allowed me to have this rig tour from, for everybody had a death in his close family yesterday. All prayers to, to, to him. And, and yeah. the, the amazing thing... And- and I'm getting a little choked up because of what I'm about to say next. Yeah, go ahead. So of the 200 people that signed up, um, we sent an email out saying, hey, it's been postponed because there's been a death in a family. And we've had over 100 responses saying, not saying, oh, it's been postponed or what can we do? We've had over 100 responses saying, how can I help? What can we do for the family? Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. This is the only industry <clears> – <throat> I'm sorry. This is the only industry on the planet – that you would have that type of response because family is so darn important. So the rig tour has not been postponed. I mean, it's not been canceled. It's been postponed. We're going to get a new date out this week. It'll be a couple of weeks out, and we'll have the tour, and it'll be loads of fun and education for everybody. Yeah, and so that, that not only says a lot about this industry, but also to our, our listeners, you are amazing people because a lot of you have been signing up for this, and the fact that, that you saw what happened – and and weren't upset, but actually came forward and and really just wanted to help and put the family first. It it it, it means a lot. So please pray for 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 the for the family, and and like Mark said, we'll get that date out. And kind of heavy there, but <clears throat> it's 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 just things that happen in this life. Um. We're thinking right now of Aubrey McClendon as well. Just kind of yeah. a, a rough week in the oil patch. So, oh man! All right, let's uh, let's try to move on as best we can. Uh, we do have a LinkedIn group. Everything I'm going to say after this is going to sound silly. <laughs> so let me jump in, folks. If you listen to the show, join our LinkedIn group. It's so beneficial. We share so much information. We help each other. Um, you know, I've actually reached out to several people. Um, that ask questions and actually made personal introductions to people in the oil and gas industry to help them. I've seen people find jobs. James has done some copywriting for people. Um, it's just, it's a great resource. It's, it's sort of the, the companion or the sister to the show. So if you haven't joined our LinkedIn group, uh, go out there, join it. You'll be very uh, glad that you did. Yeah. And if you're searching for it and you search for oil and gas this week, you might have trouble finding it because it's not called oil and gas this week. It's called the Global Oil and Gas Network. Because we own that URL, and we're and we're launching a network, eventually. We're, we're, you're listening to part of the network now, so yeah, we're, <laughs> exactly, we're exactly. It. We're working on it. We're working on it. And so everybody asking for more shows. Well, <laughs> they're just, coming. They're coming. They're coming. All right. And then um, tribrocket.com forward slash tw. Or I'm sorry, 
uh, I don't know if I mentioned it, uh, tribrocket.com forward slash LinkedIn. That'll take you straight to the group um, instead of searching for it. And then reviews. We didn't get any. We, we got an, uh, a flood of them last uh, two weeks ago. Didn't get any from the last week's episode. So, so come on, Mark. Tell the people what they got to do. If you like the show, leave us a review. It takes a minute and a half, and it does a couple of things. It allows other people to find us easier, so you're helping your peers because it drives our search engine rankings up. And then quite honestly, we got a little competition on our tail, and we want to smoke them. <laughs> so if, if you're a competitive person, help us beat our competition and give us a review. Like I said, it takes less than two minutes. Yeah, it's really fun. People these days have been saying, well, how do you know that you're the number one oil and gas podcast in the world? And it's, I say, easy, just open your iTunes app and, t- and go to the podcast. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show where I was wondering if it was the podcast app on my phone caching my searches in the app because every time I type in oil, it, it's, it pre-populate kind of like Google. It starts to guess what you're looking for. I saw on at least eight different phones at NAEP that no matter who you are, it, once you type in oil, oil and gas this week is the first suggestion. So if that doesn't make us number one, I don't know what does. Yeah. Um, and 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 a little a little commercial for my for myself at Tribe Rocket because it's really obvious what Mark does on this show at his expertise, and it's obvious what his company does as a result. And as far as Tribe Rocket Inc., if you're ever wondering what we do, we help brands build audiences and sell them things, just like the audience that you are part of. Thankfully. And I think we're probably over 70,000 downloads by now. And this show could not happen without Mark. I always say he's the brains in the operation. It also couldn't happen without me because I produce the show. I put all the music in. I promote the show. I put it all across the social networks and so forth. And so if you want to build your own audience for your oil and gas company so that you can sell them things... That's what we do. And, and that might be the most complete explanation of, of Tribe Rocket Inc. I've ever given on this show, Mark. Yeah, let me break it down really simply. If it wasn't for James, you'd have me, one of the experts in the oil and gas industry, talking to James, and nobody would be listening. It'd just be me and James talking. <laughs> because of James' expertise, we have this huge audience. So if you want a huge audience of prospects, reach out to James. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. All right. Yes. And if you have made it this far in the show, please, by all means, share it with your family, your friends, your coworkers, everybody. You can do that across the social inter- interwebs at triberocket.com forward slash shell shell. Now, I'm, <laughs> now I'm doing your thing, Mark. Where it's, yeah, no. <laughs> shell. Did he say shell or shale? It's, it, it, he's always saying shell, but it sounds shale, but it sounds like shell. Tribrocket.com forward slash share li. Forwards uh, will take you to LinkedIn to share the show. Forward slash share FB will take you to Facebook to share the show. And forward slash share TW will take you to Twitter to share the show. And with that said, I think it's time to go, Mark. Yeah, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys.